But then what happens when that person is no longer owning that car and is doing multiple modes of transport and shifting around? And so what we wanted to do was connect the business with the passenger as opposed to the asset itself. And so that's where mobile really comes in. Welcome to Positive. Find us on Twitter at POSI, the number two I-V-E. This bi-weekly podcast is for active investors and founders just like you, focused on venture scale positive impacts. I'm your host, Zeka Len, an angel investor in the private capital markets here in sunny SoCal. Today's guest is Emil Davitian, the CEO of Blue Dot, headquartered in Austin. This episode will include three sections. First, the power of place. Next, contactless solutions. And last, privacy and data. Welcome to the show, Emil. Hi, Zeka. Great to be here. Thanks for the invitation. Yeah, I'm, I'm so excited. Uh, I really love your technology, and I can't wait for us to break out into some of the details surrounding that. I think listeners are just going to love it. I am biased, as we'll, we'll also mention. So your background, can you tell us kind of how you got into tech in this space overall, and what, what is your passion? Yeah, absolutely. It was a little bit of an um, indirect entry into tech. Um, I actually was in more of a policy and political role. Um, I was really fortunate to get a, a really interesting job as an advisor to um, a couple of Australian prime ministers when um, I started the company in Australia before moving to the US. And it was just such an interesting role, um, really close to the action. And um, th- over the five or six years that I was there, the, the second half of that, I was working in cyber policy and we had like really broad coverage of anything to do with tech and anything to do with cyber. So everything from, you know, economic cyber issues all the way up to cyber security. And, and I worked with some um, of the largest tech companies in that role, um, as well as with kind of the U.S. government and, and um, some other international players. And so that was a nice entry or nice exposure into the tech scene. And then um, after I finished up there, um, one of my best friends and I um, started Blue Dot, um, our startup, and we uh, took off from there. What year did you start the company? Yeah, so we started uh, We started a little bit slowly in 2013, and we were just doing kind of stealth mode for um, you know two or three years as we did some behind-the-scenes R&D and some initial seed raises, um, and then um, we grew the company from there. So really, the first two or three years uh, were a little bit behind the scenes, and then from about 2016 onwards, we were I'm fully in the market. And before we break out kind of what the company does today, what it's what it's evolved into, can you tell us kind of what inspired you right from the get-go and and what problem you saw? Yeah, definitely. It was it was really interesting. Like we um saw how much, you know, obviously software was taking over every sector in general, but really how mobility and transport were changing. You know, we could see, uh, you know, the impact that mobile devices were having on the way that people made choices about their transport and the way that they manage their journeys. And we had this vision of having completely contactless payments when you drive around a city and you you leave your home, you go about your day and all of the interactions that you have while you're traveling, we wanted your phone to understand where you are and handle a completely contactless payment. And so that included things like parking and gas stations, all those things, but we really zoomed in on one really, really tough challenge, which was around the toll road industry. So, um, you know, there are toll roads all around the world, of course, but in the US, if you think of, say, a fast track or an easy pass, um, where you drive through and pay for, for usage of the road, we said, you know, why do you have that clunky device on your windshield? Why do you have all that infrastructure outside? What does your phone just understand where you are when you drive through at high speed and trigger an automated payment without you ever stopping the car? 
And so that was the original vision. And we were pretty ambitious. You know, we wanted to take this really massive legacy industry around tolling um, and transition it to mobile. And, and we had to build um, a, a location platform, which I'm sure we'll talk about, and a whole range of other things to, to move that industry to mobile, which is what we ultimately did. Um, I think like if I just zoom out for one second, I think one of the interesting challenges there is that it doesn't matter if you're looking at toll roads or insurance companies or fleet management or anything to do with transport. Um, what's happened is that the center of gravity has really shifted to the individual consumer, you know, the passenger with their phone in their hand. And they're able to, at the drop of a hat, really choose between things like public transport, a rental car, ride sharing, micro mobility and have multiple stages in that journey. And what we wanted to do was connect all of them and be that kind of glue that connects you know, that, that passenger with all of those different transport modes. And we started with toll roads and then have gone on from there. There's so many fascinating ideas that you've really spent time to think about explaining transport modes and micro mobility stages and such. These are also inter such interesting terms to me, not being immersed in the space as you are. Uh, you talked about the idea of mobility as a service. Did that lead you into this way of thinking? Was there something that you that you kind of sparked your interest to transition the company forward toward product market fit? Yeah, it, it really is that that um, that kind of uh, what I touched on just towards the end of that that last answer, which is like, what what happens when that individual is at the beginning of their journey, or maybe they're traveling somewhere, or they're in a new city, and they're deciding between not just a traditional mode of transport like a vehicle, but they're choosing between literally three, four, five different interesting, innovative ways of getting to their final destination. And they'll catch a new form of mass transit and they'll seamlessly get off that, that train as an example and then pick up a scooter and then jump in an Uber. And all of these things were really disrupting these massive, massive um, companies, you know, automotive companies, uh, traditional forms of transport. And so we saw that really seismic shift in transport and mobility happening. And that mobility as a service element means that the asset, the vehicle itself, is no longer being owned by the person that is making the journey. So traditionally, a lot of people, including myself, used to own vehicles. Now a lot less, you know, much fewer people uh, actually own vehicles. And instead, we are doing things like ride sharing, as an example. So what does that mean for the company that is trying to provide those transport services? It means that they can't have a connection with the vehicle anymore. If you think of a toll road company, all they understood was that a license plate was going through, you know, a camera and that they didn't have a connection with the, the driver. They had a connection with the vehicle. But then what happens when that person is no longer owning that car and is doing multiple modes of transport and shifting around? And so what we wanted to do was connect the business with the passenger as opposed to the asset itself. And so that's where mobile really comes in. That's amazing. That uh, course of thinking that attaching the asset, the mobile asset to the individual, that was such an insightful thing. Now, fast forward, say six to seven years later, by the way, congratulations on the Series B close. Thank you. Thanks. It was uh, great to get it done. So a really great group of investors joined the round. Yes. And um, I am very proud to be a very small investor in your company. I am so excited about what you're working on. And I'm excited to really just connect with you because you seem just to be the right person to take this forward, given your background. So let's maybe try to roll forward into 
first of all, kind of what is the mission of the company? What where what does the mission look like today? And has that changed through time for you? Yeah, absolutely. So we've got um, something that we really call the power of place. And so we've got, um, you know, a more, I guess, practical go to market and vision, which I can touch on in a second. But I think really where um, the company started was around uh, what we call the power of place. And, and if you boil it down, you know, there's something intrinsically powerful about physical locations. Right? Um, if you think about all of the major memories, the most important memories that you have in your life, uh, almost without exception, we can associate a physical place with that memory. So there's something inherent to us as human beings and our sense of memory that is tied to physical places. I couldn't agree more. And so that was really, the, yeah, that was really the, uh, the starting point. And then when we looked at a physical location. So imagine um, any, any location. So I, I often use the example of, say, a restaurant as an example. But, you know, that same restaurant for different people will have different meaning. Right? So the same physical place, but a completely different set of, of meanings and value to each individual. So for one person, it might be transactional because they're just buying lunch. For another play, person, they've done a, you know, completed a really major deal. Um, and so there's a business value there that's, that's greater than the transaction. And for someone else, they might have, you know, proposed to their their partner or, or had some other emo emotional or, or memorable experience there. And so the same physical premise has different attachments to memory and value for us as individuals. And so this is what I call the power of place. How can we as a company, as Blue Dot, really add a layer of technology and and software that enhances the power of place and creates greater value at these physical locations where people are brought together. Um, and I, you know, just to add one more thing to that, when I looked at how we were going to do that in practice and I looked at our team and I saw that every single person in the team was from a different corner of Australia, the US, the world, we had refugees, migrants, people on their own individual journeys that inherently understood what the power of place was because they had just migrated countries or had um, gone through this incredible life experience. And we were pulling together this random collection of human beings that were working so collaboratively as a team to enhance the power of place for others to create technology that did that. And that was really, really meaningful because all of the team were, you know, had these really incredible and interesting journeys about, about movement and migration and had really um, uh, evocative sense of what physical places meant for them in their lives. And so it all really came together nicely. Well, I, I have to say, I can tell you're your uh, true passion for, for what you're building is just, is just obvious. And uh, you led us great. Uh, you led us really well into the first section here. I want to try to maybe go back a little bit and talk, you know, you talked about tolling, you talked about your, the origination story of the company and how it's transitioned. And I can kind of get a sense of where things are going. What are, what are some of the differentiators right now? I'm, patents, things like this, that, that really set you apart? And what are, what's the some of the technical aspects of the business that make it unique? Yeah, definitely. So um, just for a little bit of uh, context for the listeners, you know, it's a B2B location platform. So we've created software that understands an individual consumer's location 
um, with far greater accuracy and fidelity than any of the alternatives in the market. And then um, that is built into the solutions that mid-market to large enterprises. So some of the largest brands in the world that have, say, a mobile app or some other mobile solution, um, our software is embedded in that solution. And then we're able to understand the location of the consumer and then use that data to action that something action something that's really valuable for them. So the differentiators, the reason that the, the, the solution, the technology is so powerful itself really stems back to that original use case. And, you know, the fact that we focused on this incredibly complex um, industry, you know, the toll road um, transition, the digital transformation of toll roads um, really meant that we had to develop differentiators over a number of years. So if you think about it, you know, if you're trying to understand where a driver is in a very fast moving car, we had to create a location engine that could understand where their mobile device is somewhere in the vehicle when they drive at incredibly high speed, potentially. And you have to get accuracy down to a lane of a road at speed and then trigger a first party payment without them touching their phone for safety reasons as they drive through. Understood. And then manage all, yeah, manage all the other variables, you know, urban settings and, and kind of bridges, all, all of those things. And so that meant that we had to do years of R&D and develop a suite of patterns that did things like, you know, enhance the accuracy right, of that location service that managed a whole range of transport modes that was able to scale to millions of locations and hundreds of millions of users without losing performance that was reliable enough to trigger payments. So all of these differentiators came in and, and really if we hone in on a couple of them, it's really the ability to do um, to support high accuracy location for customers that are on the go. So they could be moving at speed in a car and do it all with a mobile device without installing any surrounding hardware. So ultimately it's the accuracy of hardware without needing any hardware, which means that we can understand the location of somebody as they're traveling any point along their journey in any mode of transport. Remarkable. And uh, you talked about some of the, I guess what I may want to ask is kind of what are the core revenue drivers of the company right now? And what are some some emerging aspects of the company where you see maybe those bigger TAM opportunities? Yeah, definitely. So um, we, we have an enterprise SaaS model. So we sell, um, we, you know, we license our, our tech to um, large enterprises to integrate into their platforms or into their mobile apps. Um, and then we have kind of multi-year large enterprise SaaS contracts. Um, and, and so that's really the main source of revenue. Um, I think for us, like one of the really big shifts has been around um, really where the market is headed. So there's really been like a, a real integration of mobility and retail together, right? which has meant that while we started in tolling and other forms of transport, we've then crossed over into things like retail, into the restaurant space, et cetera, with some really large customers and happy to go into that, but customers like. Yeah. How, how does retail look? I mean, can you actually, does this, is it like at the storefront door kind of to track kind of what type of customers may be coming in so they can get a different customer service? Can you give us some examples of the social, uh, geo, geo social aspects? Yeah. That gets me, that gives me a tremendously excited. Yeah. So, so it's, it's like, imagine that, you know, you could look up any address in the world um, and you could set up uh, an incredibly thin virtual tripwire, just a line that acts like a tripwire. 
points. Like a, I think you refer to it as a geofence. That, that's right. So generally it's referred to geofences. And so not only have we gotten the geofences um, incredibly accurate, so you know what we talk about is 20 times the accuracy down to a lane of a road, mm-hmm. um, but then we've also developed something called geolines, which is completely proprietary in the world. Imagine drawing a single line. Amazing. Yeah, single line anywhere in the world, and then when someone crosses over, well, tell us more about that one. Yeah. I, I'm sorry, a single one. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So, so um, it, it actually came from one of the challenges in transport. You know, how do you work out where somebody is in a car that's moving incredibly quickly? And so, one of the technologies that we developed is this geoline. So, effectively, it's a virtual line that you can draw on a road or the entryway to a building or the drive-through of a restaurant, and then it acts. Ah, yes. Yeah, that's right. So, incredibly accurate tripwire that once they cross over, you can do anything in their phone, charge a payment, play a video, deliver a message, whatever it is, you create this really intelligent, relevant customer experience based on that hyper accurate location. And once again, because you don't need to install hardware, you can set these locations at scale anywhere around the world. Um, And yeah, it's incredibly powerful. Like you're connecting, this isn't like aggregated data where you're saying, uh, let me understand what consumers in general are doing. We're saying, let me understand where Zeka is on his journey um, because he's been here before and we want to give him this great experience. So let me connect one, one-to-one between the company and Zeka to enhance his experience at that point in time or to complete a transaction that he's initiated. And so it's really, really, it's a really different model of location. And so when, when you know, yeah, and you were asking about retail and geotransactional. Geotransactional. I just this I idea is it's just so amazing. <laughs> can, can I use that term? Is that, a, is that a, yes, absolutely. You have my full permission. But I want to share one open source idea with someone. I I don't know if this is necessarily a venture backable idea. Um, private parks that have your technology that allow people to experience nature. Um, national parks, for example that uh, use your technology in order to participate. It's beautiful, isn't it? Like, I, know, I know we're both in, interested in, in kind of um, the environment and environmental issues, and that's one of the close yes. to my heart. You know, talk about the power of place and how it connects with the physical environment and with nature, and to be able to do something like that to give people access and an experience in nature would be incredible. Well, listen, I, I want to actually hear a little bit about the COVID experience. We talked about that, and I think it's a really uh, unique story. Uh, I want to transition us into the contactless solutions. Can you tell me about the COVID experience for your company um, overall? Yeah, absolutely. So so we were um, quite fortunate that um, COVID, while it impacted kind of the market and was really disruptive, ultimately it um, highlighted some of the strengths of the technology, and we were really fortunate that Um, we were able to um, play a role in the recovery or response to COVID that a lot of restaurants and retailers had. Um, So one thing, you know, uh, our Series B round, we closed it before um, COVID really impacted the market, which was fortunate and it gave us the resources to really um, proactively address some of the issues that our customers were facing in the market. you know, if you remember when COVID hit, all of the restaurants and the retailers really shut down shop almost overnight, right? And there was, yeah, yeah, and there was, you know, you couldn't do in restaurant dining or in store shopping as an example. And so a lot of, you know, that was so disruptive. And of course, a lot of businesses went out of business at that time. 
But then quite quickly, um, the ones that were able to survive were really turning to contactless solutions to respond to COVID. And we were fortunate that our solution, um, really stemming from that original transport use case, was really perfectly placed Mm -hmm. to enable Mm -hmm. contactless solutions for restaurants and retailers. Um, Prior to COVID hitting, what we had done was really transition um, out of transport or in addition to transport and moved into the restaurant and retail space with customers like Dunkin' Donuts, McDonald's, KFC, etc. Um, and what we were doing for Dunkin' Donuts as an example is a completely contactless drive-through experience for customers that had ordered ahead on mobile. And when they would get to the restaurant, we would understand that when they were arriving, we'd understand exactly when they had arrived and we could give them a completely frictionless drive-through experience where they would get to the end, the food was ready, zero contact, um, which ended up being really important and ultimately really increased kind of throughput through the drive-through. And then once COVID hit, that exact thing became really, really essential for so many restaurants and retailers. And so um, it's really um, allowed us to expand into that that space. So happy to go into that in more detail, that's of interest. Yeah, I mean, I think the core question is, is this a is this an emerging category that your company can support to make things more sustainable, more efficient, more, um, I, I guess, more positive as an experience? Yeah, well, it, it is. And it's interesting because it's not a um, uh, it's an acceleration of what was already happening as opposed to mm-hmm. a dramatic shift in another direction. So over the last two or three years, if you look at the location industry, what we were talking about publicly was that it was the end of the wild west of the location industry. And it touches on some of the things that we um, will no doubt look at, you know, things like privacy and data security. All of a sudden you had, you know, there were so many location companies that were not taking care of consumer privacy properly. So really what's interesting is that um, COVID really accelerated kind of some of the trends that were happening anyway. Um, And so, you know, there'd been a really big shift over the last two or three years in the location industry where, you know, we were calling it, you know, the end of the wild west where a lot of players that weren't taking care of things like consumer privacy were really pushed out of the industry. You know, there were regulatory changes and and changing consumer sentiment. Um, On top of that, you know, Apple and Google was changing how it was managing its operating system and giving more control to the consumer. And so there was real movement in our industry away from kind of location-based spam type use cases um, to higher value first-party use cases where we started the company. So something more transactional, something that the consumer sees and feels and is relevant to them, right? And that's where accuracy really helps. And then what COVID did was that all of a sudden, this big group of companies that were in the restaurant and retail space they started making investments in technology in six to 12 months that they were originally going to do over five to 10 years, right? So it was a real rapid acceleration that drove the entire industry towards delivering contactless solutions for things like curbside pickup, for drive-through, for zero contact experiences that you could order ahead and then go to the final destination and pick up the food or the purchase or maybe get something delivered. So similar to kind of what we were talking about at the beginning around that mobility as a service, it was shifting the center of Mm -hmm. gravity away from the business and to the consumer. And the consumer was choosing how to engage with the brand, where to buy from them, um, how they wanted to interact with that company on that day. And then companies are having to be responsive and 
location and high accuracy location that Pluto provides is particularly well suited to that. I mean, it's, it's contextual by nature, so you can be really responsive to what that, that customer needs on that day. Interesting. And also, I'm kind of getting a highlight as to what the automated future may look like with with uh, delivery pickups from automated vehicles having to have kind of a an accuracy component that, that is uh, linked to even automated curbside um you know, types of system, something like that. Yeah, I, I think like it's, it's really interesting. Like when you look at where we were headed over uh, many, many years, you were going to get really closer and closer integration of physical environments and digital solutions. You know, originally we had like kind of just a digital layer on top of a traditional way of doing business. So you might have a website or, you know, an app that you just order, but it's pretty clunky. Whereas now because of COVID, you're getting really close tight-knit integration between those two. And it's really, um, a, I think, an indicator of what's going to be coming um, in many, many sectors of the economy over the next five to 10 years, right? Um, really responsive to individual choice, multiple channels of doing business that's controlled by the consumer, and then automation every step of the process, whether it's pickup, delivery, whatever the case may be. Um, and so it's, it's becoming, um, you know, this was, likely going to happen um, anyway. And this has just turned it into um, an accelerated rollout over a year or two, as opposed to 10 years. It's, it's really fascinating. Great. And, you know, I said I, I'm an investor in this company, so I am biased and putting my bias in the open. I, I am so excited by this company, not only because I think you've you've created such a defensible product and, and gearing, toward, um, gearing toward efficiency, sustainability, but also, I really like that this is a crossover with social impact. Um, in my opinion, I see this just as a as a um, as a as a bridge to uh, a greater social experience, a physical social experience. And I think that there's going to be a tremendous uh, opportunity space for your company going forward, both on the social and sustainable sides. Um, I do want to break out into the last section with privacy and data and maybe go a little bit deeper on some of the social aspects. I know this is meaningful to you, and I'd like you to maybe frame the conversation here that you, th you see as deliberate and intentional. You mentioned the stale debate. Do you want to start the discussion surrounding that? Yeah, no, I'd, I'd love to. I, I think that, um, you know, it's, it's really frustrating when you listen to some of the public conversations and debates that happen around things like privacy and data security. It, it sends a lot of people to sleep. I think it's pretty, you know, and, and we'll do our best not, not to do that here. So I think, I think you'll listen. Tell a joke. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Your listeners will have a much better experience this time around. Right? And, and so, um, you know, and, and it's really black and white. It's what I call the binary. And what we try to do is break the binary. And so if you think about it, you know, all of the discussion about things like privacy ends up being really black and white. So it's either private or not private, it's protected or not protected. It's all of those things. It's, it's, you know, it's black and white terms and conditions. It's really, really... Safety versus privacy, for example. Yeah. But then when we look at our individual experiences and our own outlook on things, it's anything but black and white like that. It is actually really contextual and nuanced and really, really interesting. Right? And, and you know, if you think about um, what our individual interaction with our own data is, Right. Um, it really factors in often subconsciously, not, it's not always a, a really uh, clearly articulated choice, but we have all of the elements that we pull together into 
um, a level of comfort with our own data and privacy. So as an example, you know, there are a lot of factors that play into our day-to-day decisions about our own personal information. Right? It's things like, you know, what is the context? What is the transaction that you're doing? You know, is it really urgent or is it kind of a nice to have? Um, you know, how much time do you have? Is You know, are you traveling in a foreign country as opposed to your own home city where you have a lot more control and understanding of the market? Um, are you interacting with another company that you have a relationship with and there's a level of trust or do you not know the other business? Right? Um, all of these things, you know, what is the, the inherent risk level? Um, all of these things play together to make us comfortable or uncomfortable with, with sharing our da- data. And that is not a binary mm-hmm. decision. That is a nuanced decision that pulls together many, many factors. Right? And I'll give you a specific example. Right? So, Please. Yeah. So if you're trying to do something like book a hotel right, or book accommodation and you're in your home country and you really understand the play as well, you're not in a rush, you know, you're booking ahead, you can take your time to investigate and to ask any questions or to do some research, right? And you've got a suite of choices. Well, you're going to approach the risk around your personal data in a different way to if you're traveling in a foreign country and need accommodation urgently and don't understand the market and maybe have a language barrier there or something else, right? So there's a different mix of urgency and need versus risk as opposed to the alternative in your home city, right? And so that creates a really, it's the same, ultimately the same transaction is still accommodation, right? But we have a much more subtle understanding of where the risk lies and what our choices are to protect ourselves in those two scenarios, right? And and then when you look across the market, right, different individuals will have different attitudes to privacy based on things like demographics, age, um, dispos- you know, philosophical disposition, you know, ethical disposition around these things. Yeah, socio-political and et cetera. Exactly, exactly. So, so it's actually a really interesting topic that pulls together all of these factors, right? But then when it's publicly talked about, it's, it's not very interesting uh, for the most part, right? And, and, and so what we talk about is breaking the binary, right? So instead of, you know, let us have a relationship with the individual that's sharing their data, right, that is transparent and educational rather than burying something into the T's and C's that nobody ever reads, right? And how do you, how do you break that? Well, let, yeah. let me stop you for one moment. I do, I do want to highlight that on your website, you've been incredibly transparent, I guess, in line with breaking the binary to your privacy principles. And there are the categories of direct uh, transparent value. The second is proportional data collection, no ongoing tracking, high performance for value, on-device processing, clear accessible disclosures, no personally identifiable information. I think that's along with GDPR perhaps. No device IDs or advertising IDs, no combining of data sets or data sales. I mean, this is this is very, very consumer-centric in my mind. And I think that's uh, that that should be given some credit. Just want to put that forward. The, thank you. No, I, I appreciate that. That is like something that we're really pl- proud of. Like we made a, you know, a declaration that we've signed up to that um, we really see our company really from day one where we started the business as being 
the leader around privacy and consumer protection in our industry without any exception. You know, there are a lot of companies making claims around it. It's really easy to make claims, but it's harder to make the trade-offs and the decisions that actually protect privacy in practice. And I, I remember me and my co-founder, this was like literally one of the foundational decisions in the business, like in the first month of founding the company, where we took this really strong stance on privacy for ethical reasons. There are good business reasons to do it as well. You know, you manage risk and it's good for your customer and your customer's customer, of course, but primarily it was driven by an ethical decision that says, hey, you know, let us focus on delivering value and protecting the person whose data is being shared. Um, and that's where a lot of, a lot of that. Yeah, I think you just spelled out the mission where I asked originally, you skirted around it a bit, but I think the data privacy principles is a core part of your of your mission. You're right. And, and it's it's a big factor in how do you focus on the consumer who is traveling, who is the one whose location is important, who is sharing their data, and how do you focus on them in a way that both protects them and delivers really tangible value to them, rather than doing something frivolous like spamming them with marketing? Why don't you help them uh, with convenience, with efficiency, with completing a payment, with that social factor of connecting with people that are important to them in their lives at physical places? and doing it in a way that breaks the binary around privacy and gives them control and visibility. I think that is really the essence of what we do. You know, That's the power of place. Excellent. Yeah. Well, there's a startup uh, that I want to give a shout out to, Koya, and uh, they have kind of a gifting platform for geophysical gifting platform to make the experience of gifting more uh, outdoors and, and uh, fun, kind of like a scavenger hunt of sorts. It's really fun. And um, I think that in that case, it's quite obvious that they're aligned with the really the joy of their customer. But I guess more in the more nuanced cases, I'd like to ask kind of how trust and control tie into the everyday, and how do you communicate that message to your clients, and uh, and why why should we be caring about that? Yeah, definitely. I, I love Koya as well. You know, the fantastic um, company there that really connects individuals is really the essence of power the power of place right in in practice um so so what we do just to answer answer your question you know we work with some of the largest enterprises in the world you know whether it's big platforms like salesforce and oracle or whether it's end clients like you know um easy pass or or dunkin donuts and what we do is that we really try to embed our approach approach to to privacy into our sale and our customer success, right? So forget the terms and conditions, everybody's gonna take care of that, right? But how do we really surface this to the consumer with a device in their hand, right? How do we educate them and take them on that journey? And I'll give you a very specific example. I love, I love this example that Duncan, Duncan's a, a really innovative kind of leader in this space. So we work with them that says, hey, don't just ask for location data when somebody downloads an app, you know, somebody downloads it, they don't even know what they're using the app for. It's a really terrible point to ask for that location permission. Instead, do it when they're getting tangible value, right? So when somebody places an on-the-go order, so they're driving in their car or, you know, they're on the way to work and they place an order ahead, at that point, we ask for location permission. There's some really engaging interactive screens that explain to the user why their data is being used, what benefit they get, you know, a completely contactless transaction at the other end that will save them time. Um, and it says that once they pick up the food, we'll power down and won't collect their data anymore. So it's not tracked, it's proportional, 
it's transparent value and it's genuinely useful for the consumer. And then when we don't need to collect that data, we don't do it. Like it's a beautiful balance of value to Duncan, great value to the consumer and protection all around. And, and so that's the type of thing we try to do. And this is where I talk about breaking the binary. It's using the accuracy of the data to solve for privacy. It's not a trade-off with privacy. It solves for that issue by delivering relevance, you know, relevant value to the person who's sharing their data. Wow. Okay. I see this. The, the transparent value in, in regards to building trust and um, how, how you're, you're tied in into the, the uh, accuracy the accuracy component as as a way to bridge that. That's that's really amazing. You've been thinking on such a deep level. You're a data philosopher, I almost feel. <laughs> I don't mind the sound of that, but I'm not sure I'd go that far, but it does, that sounds pretty interesting. But Zeka, you know, like you were asking, you know, we were talking before about all, all of these variables that go into kind of what that person's disposition around privacy is. Well, trust is, um, you know, what is the distribution of value and trust over time? Right. So if you have one transaction with a business, you have a certain level of trust with them that's pretty low. And then on your 10th, 20th, 30th interaction where they've communicated clearly, you haven't had any issues, you've gotten value where that level of trust, both in the privacy protection, but just in that brand relationship just goes through the roof. And that's a really that's that's a very different approach to privacy as a compliance issue. Right. Instead, it embeds it into the relationship with the person as part of your overall. I see. Yeah. Well, you're, you're giving away so many useful ideas for companies that may want to think about how to include this um, geo geo aspect of how to how to com- uh, interact with their community. You've, you've suggested here that there's this distribution value of trust, your words. And it sounds like to me that there's a, there's some nuanced strategies surrounding um, knowing who your customer is and then offering them a solution that gets them on board that generates both value for themselves and the organization that that community buy-in. I mean, this is just tremendous. I'm just excited by it. To, to wrap up the conversation in the context of where you see your company going forward at this point. What are some other non-obvious aspects of trust that, that tie into the business? Yeah, definitely. I, I think that, you know, when you pull together some of the elements that we've talked about today, you know, whether it's really understanding what the power of place means to us as humans, um, whether it's how we break the binary around value and, and uh, privacy, um, or whether it's about the contactless solutions as a response to COVID, you know, they come together in a really nice package that I think most of us, after going through the experience of 2020 and even now as 2021 has kicked off with COVID, have felt what that all means in a really personal, direct and emotive way. So, you know, I think that we've understood or have valued some of the physical interactions and physical places in ways that we never thought we would as a result of COVID. So then when we project out, you know, how do we come back as a group of individuals, as a society? Um, How do we create new communities and new ways of doing business that are perhaps more decentralized, that are more personal? Um, Because we don't want to necessarily go back to doing everything exactly the same way. So how can we create social good by 
bringing people together in physical spaces in different ways. And so that is what I'm really, really excited about. You know, how do we achieve something like social distancing, right, on the one hand, but doing it in a way that creates safety to allow people to return back and interact with each other again. And, you know, I mentioned how digital and physical interact now in a really interesting way, and are they going to be more and more integrated? Well, I think that's really the future, right? How do you create physically safe spaces for people to come together and have rich either business relationships or personal relationships, social relationships, um, but also do it in a way that gives them control and decentralizes it again, right? Once again, the center of gravity is shifting. And if we can do this together, we can really give people control to create these new decentralized communities and to frankly take care of the environment in a better way, to come together in you know, more equitable kind of social circumstances, but also return to business and create jobs in a way that's safe for employees and safe for the customer. You know, so I think that's really interesting. I think we're really at the first stages of that, but all of the dislocation as a result of COVID has at least started some of these conversations. And now it's just a matter of, you know, which projects and which ideas are successful and, and how we can bring them to life. Thank you so much for sharing your uh, philosophies, your vision for your company. The, the opportunity set is so amazing. You've really blown my mind here. What are some ways that listeners can reach out to support you and your organization going forward? And just, again, thank you for being on the show today. No, no, fantastic. Thank, thank you, um, Zeka. It's been a, a real pleasure. Thank you again for the invitation. I hope it was useful for your listeners. If anybody's interested in learning more, um, our website is bluedot.io. Um, and then also on LinkedIn, Facebook, um, anything social, you can either look at Blue Dot or my name's Emil Davitian. Thanks again, Zeka. We've had amazing guests on the show and I'm very grateful for all of your support. The show is now available also on Google. It's available on Amazon. It's available on pretty much all the platforms, iTunes. We would love any positive feedback you can give on iTunes especially. Leave us a review and keep listening. Appreciate it.